covers great TV, but it's not really what you need in business, but we have that in spades. Welcome to The Playlist, our weekly podcast about the movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm Fiona Williams, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Bassine. Hey, Nick. Fiona, we've got a great show this week. We are talking about a new show that we've got on the network called Counterpart, starring J.K. Simmons. We are talking about an observational documentary, The Employables, and we've actually gotten a chance to talk to one of the mentors, the entrepreneur Creel Price, on the show. And we're going to talk about what we've been watching. But first, Counterpart. We're doing a new thing here. We're going to try something different. We brought in uh, producer Dan is going to lead us in a conversation about, um, about this very exciting TV show. Someone's walked in from the other side. I need to pretend to be you. Don't panic. Hi, Howard. Hey guys, so Counterpart, it kicks off this week on SBS. We're pretty excited about it. It's a really high quality premium drama. I think Very good. all three of us are pretty big fans of this. Yeah. Very good. I'd heard it was good and I can confirm now having watched it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for the next 10 weeks on the playlist, you're going to have to suffer through me a little bit as we discuss the series yeah. and we're going to do it episode by episode. So you can watch it on the SBS on Thursday nights at 930 and if you can't wait, it is there on SBS On Demand for you to watch. Just binge watch it on a weekend. It's going to be a pretty good weekend, I'd imagine. But anyway, Counterpart. Uh, this the series uh, features a guy named Howard Silk. He's been working for a UN agency based in Berlin for about 30 years. He's been working in a department called Interface. Now he's been looking for a promotion. He's uh, talked about it for a bit. And finally, there was a role that came up, which he loses out. He's distressed, he's really been doing this job for a while, and he doesn't really have the professional satisfaction he's been looking for. But one day he's called into a meeting where he's told that an agent from, quote unquote, the other side, mm. uh, has demanded that they want to meet with him. Now, he's introduced to the agent, a bag is ripped off the other guy's head, and we find out the guy's actually a doppelganger of Howard Silk. It's two J.K. Simmons. Double your J.K., yeah. yeah. Uh, so this guy, he's a spy, apparently level two, uh, from a parallel world who's lived a much more professionally fulfilling life than Silk has. And Silk finds himself plunged into a world of espionage and spycraft, and largely he's confronted with a life potential that he's never really achieved. Now, what I think is great about this show is that you're dealing with a series with a very fantastic concept. Like, it's incredibly broad, it's incredibly hard to wrap your mind around it without thinking about it being the excess of every terrible sci-fi show we've ever seen. But this is really grounded. It's a lo-fi, high-stakes spy drama. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea of the 30 years ago in Germany that East, East Berlin scientists created this whole parallel universe, that's... That's kind of like a MacGuffin, this whole thing. It's like, mm. it happened, deal with it. The upshot is there's a double of everyone. We've all got doubles and they're just living on the other side. Like you say, this thing just happened, this huge world-changing event. And what the show does such a great job of is introducing little bits of background mm. throughout and to explain what exactly happened how and how it's affected everybody's lives. And do people know about it? Who Who did this? How did it happen? All of that kind of thing is really interesting. Kind of gives you just enough that you're hanging on, desperate to find out what, what's going on. And it's a character study. Mm. It's not really about the plot of the spy mechanics or this fantastical idea. It's really about the idea that Howard is confronted with this life that he never really quite achieved. And as he's talking to his doppelganger, and apparently according to some notes from Justin Marks, who's the guy that created the show, when they're talking about the two Howards in the writer's room, mm. one of them's Howard Prime and Howard. So Howard Prime okay. is the super spy and Howard is our hero, the guy of whom 
is just working as a interface guy. Yeah, he's a very low-level bureaucrat who's, you know, confronting ageism because, like, he thinks he's paid his dues over 30 years. You see him trying to get a promotion and his young, much younger boss is like, well, mate, if it was going to happen, it would have happened. <laughs> two yeah. decades ago. There's that great scene where he's talking to his boss after he's been told that the opportunity to become a strategic uh, member of the team has, you know, lost uh, passed him by. Yeah, he, never, he was never in on it. And that's exactly, his boss pretty much says, you know, you've been an interface guy, you've done very well at it, why do you want to step outside of your lane? Mm. And that's going to be heartbreaking for a guy who's, you know, around 60, sort of towards the end of his career. Mm. He's been looking for that opportunity to push himself and prove he can do more. But, you know, he's just been pushed back. And here's where J.K. Simmons is so great because, you know, he looks crumpled and devastated and wrinkly and dejected. And we haven't even mentioned what's going on in his personal life yet. We'll get to that. But he wears that burden and the disappointment on his face and then cut to a couple of scenes later and he's this vibrant super spy that's coming in from the other side who's also J.K. Simmons. And you put the two of them in a room together and it's like they're twins rather than the same person acting you know, you can tell very easily which one's which just by the, the intonations, just the subtle moments that um, he brings to it as an actor. He's great. There's a lot of tension when they're in the room together because yeah. of the aggressive dude finds the passive the one. The passive one just that is so disdainful and disgusted <laughs> by him. Even by J.K. Simmons, the um, the milk toast who um, yeah. who evolves over a show, you would imagine that would be entertaining enough. But then to put him opposite. The badass J.K. Simmons is just pretty great. Yeah, yeah, Alpha J.K., I guess. Yeah, mm. which I guess I, I associate Alpha J.K. with Whiplash. I really yeah. loved him in that movie, and you get a lot of it in this one, this show. Yeah, I found myself distracted from the screen for a few minutes, and I was listening to it, so I knew what was taking place in the, in the scene. But when my eyes went back to the screen, both of them were talking to each other, but I immediately knew which one was which, yeah. which I think is really a testament to what's going on in the show, because we've all seen terrible TV shows where you've got the doppelganger, and it's kind of the same performance coming from the actor on both fronts. Sometimes they've got a goatee, though, so that's much easier <laughs> to tell who's who. But here they look pretty much exactly the same, and in the scene I was watching, the Howard Prime, the super spy, is there really dapper in his suit, whereas Howard from our world is really, you know, crumpled. He's got like his tie sort of top button undone and just looking a little bit sort of uh, crumpled. Yeah. But Wearing a lot knowing, of brown suits yeah, as well. But without yeah. knowing the costuming, the way that he's holding himself and really presenting himself in scene, like it was immediately distinguishable who was who. Yeah, totally. There is a scene where someone says, which one are you? And <laughs> it gets a pretty direct response from Alpha JK or Howard Prime, or Howard Prime as they're calling him. Yeah, it's... Now, Nick, I was trying to sell you on the show a couple of months ago, and I said, Nick, you're going to like this because you're not a big sci-fi guy. No, I hate it. Yeah. Oh. Well, is that harsh? I like some things. Yeah. And so I sold it to you on the idea that it's more a spy drama than it is a you know, fantastic sci-fi. But what is it you like about the show? So as discussed, J.K. Simmons, I'm just a huge fan of. So um, Double as J.K. Is, um, is great for me. But the sci-fi concept that you were selling me on, it hangs in the background. Well, I wasn't selling you on a sci-fi. I was selling you on no, a spy. that's right. That's right. But I was initially going to be thinking, well, I don't know if this is for me, but the sci-fi. But it kind of hangs in the background and everything is very real. Like you said, a character study. And there's also a lot of kind of tense action. I mean, it, there are moments of quiet sitting with uh, his wife who's in a coma. And then there's a nasty assassin who's running around... Um, shooting people up. 
Well, that's the thing. She's come through from the other side, yeah. which is what has triggered him coming through to try and track her down. So that's how they need to loop the passive powered into this whole thing because they need to switch lives at some right. point. So I think what it does really well is bouncing between quiet drama, but also tense action. Yeah, I'm really quite taken with the fact that because I like spy dramas. It's one of the genres that I really sort of get into. What's a good spy drama? This one. This one. There are no other dramas I want to talk about on network, Nick. Okay. Hey, it doesn't have to be on network. What's a good spy good drama? Spy drama. Uh, Three Days of the Condor. Is that a spy drama? Yeah, yeah. it is for sure. It is. Uh, spy is movie. he a spy? I thought they're just after him. No, no. Is it a spy It's movie? a not twice tell him Harry sent you kind of spy okay. operation and someone gets through and kills the whole office. Oh, right. Okay. Mm. The movie Spy, different kind of- uh, not, a, not a drama as much. No. no. But lots One could of fun. say, actually say, comedy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with Melissa McCarthy. I thought yeah. it was fun. It was no if looks could kill starring Richard Grieco, but that's neither here nor there. Correct. <laughs> Wait, is Mission Impossible count as a spy drama? Nothing yeah. very much, though. So. Spy action. It's taken you longer to mention Mission Impossible. Than that's I true. Credit. That should have been right on the tip of my tongue. Mm. Yeah. It's been I love my spy mind. dramas. Forget it. <laughs> Favorite genre. Needs more Tom Cruise. Is that your Yeah, feedback? well, everything could use a little bit of Tom. Can you imagine if they had two Toms? Oh, Ooh. my God. Don't <laughs> even... And I'm sorry, I'm reminded I've, I brought up uh, Big Business for Friends of the Show would recall that that Is was that my one I've been watching. No, Doppelgangers. Oh, yes. I was trying to think, when you mentioned Doppelgangers, I was trying to think of other shows and movies where there. I love the Doppelganger genre. Big Business, as I've mentioned. Multiplicity with Michael Keaton. Multiplicity Dead Ringers. is good. Come on. Yeah, I take us to the other podcast we've been running here on SPS, Batman Land, with the episode with two Liberacis on screen together. One of my all-time favourites. Mm. What? Oh, I didn't see that one. Classic of the genre. I love Liberace, though. Parent Trap. Yeah, Parent Trap with Hayley Mills. And later on, the Disney films with the triplets. And Parent Trap with Lindsay, with Lindsay Lohan. Lohan. Yeah, let's not. Getting back to the point I was trying to make, which was, <laughs> we were getting somewhere, people. Do you remember? What I really like about this, it's a spy drama that pushes the boundaries of the genre. If anything, this is kind of like a next level spy drama because we're really looking at the idea of duplicity and it's duplicity of the spy against himself. Yep. So occasionally you come across like the internal battle of a spy as he's, you know, wrestling with his own internal demons, but he's actually facing off against someone of whom is him for all intents and purposes. But you don't actually know where his motivations lie. You don't know whether he can even trust him. Mm. I mean, they could have gone in so many directions with just that concept of you meet someone else who's had the same life as you, but has turned into a totally different person. I think about that all the time for myself. God, I wish I I had made some different choices. And that's what's so great about this and their different personalities that have developed because Passive Howard is having trouble. As as you mentioned, his wife is in a coma and he's dealing with her brother, who is a terrible person, who's trying to cut him out of her life and get her sent, like she's English, and trying to make him sign the papers to give power of attorney to ship her off to England so she can die with dignity over there. With the family. Like, Mm. we don't know that he's a terrible person. For all we know, Howard Silk's, you know, just been a little bit... Well, first impressions. You don't get a second chance to make a first impression, Dan. And so when Alpha Howard comes into the picture... And it's at that moment where he has to walk in the shoes of our Howard. He gets to say the things that our Howard wouldn't otherwise yeah, have said to satisfying. the terrible brother-in-law. So it's kind of like if your doppelganger came into your life who was less constrained by social niceties and, and could say what they think yeah. of, of some family members that you may have some opinions about or, you know, the drama in that moment has nothing to do with the bigger spy drama that's going on or the assassin who's imminently coming down to to do her stuff. This is just a nice moment of interacting with 
an alternate slice of your personality. Yeah. The best science fiction generally offers a commentary or perspective on our own world or our own sense of self. So what Nick was saying a short while ago that it made him think about his own life and the idea of, you know, the choice that he's made and he'd love to, you know, encounter someone who's made the different choices. I wish I could have a few do-overs, Dan. Yeah. but that's <laughs> Just the, a few. That's why this works. This is working to that strength of what science fiction can offer, which is it's a reflection back on the viewer who can actually look at their own life saying, you know, this is something I'd like to experience myself. I want to point out that the, his wife is played by Olivia Williams, mm. who I have loved since Rushmore. Yeah, she's fantastic. I mean, I've only seen the first episode. She's in a coma the whole time. <laughs> so yeah. I imagine she gets some, uh, she does some, some more space she does, Yeah, she does more. She wakes up. She's very convincing in that coma. <laughs> I've never believed a coma more. Yeah. And this is directed by Morton Tildum, who I've only really seen his film work prior to this. He did Headhunters several years ago. He also oh, did that's The Im- a, That's a great film. Yeah. yeah. The Imitation Game. With uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, he directed that. He did direct that. That was all right. He also did Passengers with Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. So, you know. But in fairness, gorgeous looking movie. Sure. Big Uh... issues with the plot of that one. So anyway, he's he's redeeming himself in spades with Counterpart. Yeah, visually this is a really rich show. Yeah. There's this amazing opening sequence as well within the show where I don't know if you guys were as taken with it as I was, but it's this really great visual compile with uh, lots of sort of spy imagery, lots of sort of squares and circles, and it really builds up that idea of, you know, alternate worlds that you're travelling into um, time, but also for Howard, because he's kind of felt like he's been boxed in his entire life. Mm. You've kind of got that sort of at play as well. Visually, like, it's this amazing piece of work. And the lady responsible for it is this woman named Karen Fong. And she's responsible for a whole bunch of opening title sequences that we've seen and loved over the years. So Boardwalk Empire was her, the recent Lost in Space uh, Netflix series, Um, I'm Dying Up Here, uh, Chuck, Karen Sisko. She did the titles for Josie and the Pussycats back in the day. Okay. Wow. Wait, the cartoon? No. No, the The movie. movie. Oh, right. Yeah, back in 2001. Okay. I haven't you, seen it. You haven't seen it? No. Oh, wow. This is shocking to me. Yeah. Um, no, I love a good opening title. Mm. But yeah, I, I don't get impressed by them that often anymore because there's so many just amazingly good ones, but this one really just stood out to me. Sure. And Howard, we get introduced to his life by his routines, which come into play because obviously his double has to study his routine to pass as him. But he starts off his day with a game with someone I, else. That, what is that game they're playing? He's playing Go. Okay. So it's, I believe it's considered to be like the world's oldest board game. I think it's Chinese in origin. Okay. It's an incredibly sophisticated game and it's kind of seen as for people playing around with the artificial intelligence at the moment. Mm. If you can get your AI to be able to play a game of Go, like right. that's seen as the ultimate sort of high point of human thinking. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it looked fascinating in the whole black and white and the opposites and clearly it was playing on deeper levels than I was bringing yeah. to it because I wasn't familiar with the game. But uh, And because Howard is obviously a guy who desperately wants to be in strategy, correct. this is kind of like that evidence that he really can sort of play at that level. Yeah, right. Interesting. So we'll come back and we'll explore Counterpart at greater depth. We've deliberately been very spoiler-free during this conversation because obviously lots of people probably haven't really watched the show yet. Mm. But check it out. Like I think it's an amazing bit of TV. It's airing on Thursday nights at 9.30 on SBS, and you can find episodes at On Demand anytime. Yes. But yeah, we'll be back next week to talk about episode two. Yeah, we're going to have a segment where we recap the week in Counterpart because it's great. We're loving yeah. it. And um, yeah, so so we'd love for you to get on board as well and, and watch it and come for the recaps too. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dan. So we'll be doing more Counterpart recaps within 
upcoming episodes of the playlist. But we also have a range of podcasts that are solely recaps to do with some shows that you can stream at SBS On Demand. We have Eyes on Gilead, which is the companion podcast to Handmaid's Tale Season 2, which is in full as a box set you can stream at SBS On Demand. Likewise, The Good Fight hosted by producer Dan, which recaps the season two of The Good Fight, which is available in full, also at SBS On Demand. Um, and Batman. And Batman, which is airing on SBS Viceland with catch-up at SBS On Demand. Batman Land, hosted by my learned colleagues, producer Dan and Mr Nick Basing. It's been the, um, the joy of my life. So now we turn to The Employables, which is a new show starting on SBS this week. It's a social and business experiment that takes people from different groups that are likely to be discriminated against when they're looking for work, and it puts them together with the help of a team of mentors, helps them start a business. So they all come with um, business ideas, and these mentors, led by Creel Price, who's an Australian entrepreneur, they just help them come up with great business ideas. So I've seen all of the episodes. We're the first one aired this week, and it's available to catch up on SBS On Demand. I thought it was pretty good. I think it does a really great job. I think there's a temptation to compare it to The Apprentice or Shark Tank, shows like that. Yeah, that really competitive kind of element. And it is competitive, but it's so much less sensationalistic. And I found myself getting involved in the plight of of some of these people to to start a business. Yes, because it as you mentioned like it's focusing on groups within Australia who find it particularly hard to find work. You know, these are people who who want to either they want to get back into the workforce possibly because they they took time out to raise children. These are people with disabilities, these are refugees, these are people who are facing casual racism in trying to find work. There are older people who you know, past the age of 50, it's it's much more single difficult. Single parents. Yes, exactly. They're single parents. Yeah. So these are people who, for a number of reasons, they're finding it particularly difficult to find work. It's not that they're being choosy. It's not that, you know, they expect the world to come to them. It, it's people who have been actively seeking work and, and just having absolutely no luck. So the show kind of finds people who personified these disadvantaged groups to just try and spark something within them that, you know, they, they have a great idea. How can they, someone to back them, just to back their ideas and, and see see what comes of that. Now, the, the show does give them a shot. Yeah, exactly. But it, they're not looking for handouts. Mm. The premise of the show and the philosophy behind it is that giving people like this a shot is good for all of us. Yeah, exactly. Because they have ideas, they haven't had certain chances, or um, they've been unlucky in, in certain ways, but... But they might have a golden business yes. idea and also... They're worth employing. <laughs> like, don't dismiss someone at, at first glance if you're someone who needs to hire. Like, maybe it will trigger something within people watching to to think twice if they reject someone who who is in one of these groups. You know, who, yeah. If you might have otherwise. Creel Price, who is the Australian entrepreneur, he's made a huge reputation from starting and then selling businesses, million dollar businesses. Mm. It's kind of his, he's a career entrepreneur, so he gets involved in things and uh, he starts things, sells them and keeps that going. But he's heavily involved in projects that have a social conscious, just mm. like this show. And he's very much invested in getting the best out of people. And one of my favorite things about the show is how he is very, no. I mean, he's kind of like this in general, but he's very no nonsense and he, he gives it to everybody straight. You know, if you want to start a business, this is the reality. This is how you have to do it. So we had a chance to talk to Creel um, earlier, and this was our chat. 
So, Kirill, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. I appreciate um, you making the time. Pleasure. So I was wondering, is there something in your life, something personal that motivated you to put together a show like this or be a part of a show like this? Well, there's a number of facets, I guess. Well, the first was probably as a graduate of university, I finished, you know, no honours degree by any means, but it was a, it was a commerce degree. I'd had some experience and I've, I found it very difficult to get a job. I've still okay. got you know, 150 rejection letters of all these corporations that didn't want my talents. And I went into a bit of a, a tailspin around that. Um, so I think unemployment generally really resonates with me. And then um, in entrepreneurship generally, I've, uh, I guess, spent the last 10 years of my life using the, the, the scaffold of entrepreneurship to teach kids skills, to teach people in the third world how do they, they get back on their feet. Um, and, you know, Indigenous communities here in Australia. So generally using, you know, entrepreneurship to, to do good is, has been what I've been about. What do you attribute that period of when you're having a hard time getting a, getting employment? What do you attribute that to? Well, you know, probably unluck in a lot of ways. When I, yeah. when I started my um, commerce degree, the most jobs available were for accountants, which is what, what led me to take the degree. God knows, I don't know why I was going to be an accountant, but... <laughs> The, um, when, I, when I came out, the unemployment rate was the highest it's been in the last 30 years, in 1992. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so it wasn't, it wasn't a good time. Generally, the rate was high, but for fresh graduates, it was off the charts. Right. And mountains are kind of a metaphor for business broadly, you know, uphill battle and, and you know, careful going up because <laughs> who you might meet on the way down and all of that. But, you know, you use mountains literally, um, the metaphor as well, but, um, you know, you take people up mountains and, and you're you're always climbing mountains. Can I ask, what what is it about that and living the metaphor that's so important for you in, in determining someone's skills as a business person? Sure. I suppose it all started, I, you know, was a fairly outdoorsy sort of person, but it wasn't until I found myself climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa probably 20-odd years ago, um, that I was handed Richard Branson's biography whilst, whilst doing that, and that helped me motivated to get to, to get to the top. And on the top, I, I made a goal that I was going to start my own business. So that was really the catalyst for my own business journey. Um, and then I'd shared that story with my new business partner, Trevor, and we decided to have a joint goal that when our company made a, its first million dollars, we were going to take 10 of our staff to go and climb Mount Kilimanjaro again, which we did. <laughs> so I suppose that was, a, that was the background. But, you know, I think it is a great metaphor for aspiring business owners that, you know, you have to, first of all, choose your goal. Is it the Everest of, you know, the unicorn billion dollar company or is it something more modest? And, you know, you probably should start a little bit more modest with, when, you, when you're picking the, 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 the business or the, the mountain that you're trying to climb. And then it's all about how to you overcome the obstacles that get thrown after you, you know, constantly not losing sight of that goal. But one of the things that I talk to entrepreneurs about is it's not just getting to the top, it's getting down safely. That's the exit or the, um, you know, possibly selling your, uh, your business. Mm. So all the big shots, they all have exits. Exit plans. Oh, yes and no. I mean, there's, there's, I define uh, the difference between an entrepreneur and a business owner. A business owner is someone that builds their business, they're passionate about the business that they're in, and they might build it up and they might give it to their kids, etc. An entrepreneur is a little bit different. An entrepreneur, they're passionate about the game of business. So it doesn't really matter right. as much what business they're in. They're trying to actually build their business up. And there's a little thing called the entrepreneur's curse that can kick in if you, if you don't exit your business, which is uh, what probably I did in my business for a while is 
turn it into a conglomerate of half-finished ideas where you, um, you know, you get a bit bored. Um, and the entrepreneur's curse is, is that, you know, real innovation that entrepreneurs have. Sometimes a business, you know, once it's on a good path, keep it on that path. But the entrepreneur is not the person to, to, to do that. They're good at starting things. So that's at that stage, I really recommend that entrepreneurs should either succeed out of the business to maybe a management team or sell the business. Okay. Hmm. And with your your model and and working with disenfranchised people who you know have been rejected and, and pushed to the fringe, um, the stakes seem much higher in terms of trying to launch something and trying to get back in there and, and utilize skills and muscles that they may, you know, be be dejected um, and haven't used in a while. Obviously, you can't take everyone, <laughs> like and. There is more rejection for people who've experienced mm. rejection. How difficult is that for you in terms of delivering that? I know you know you have to be ruthless sort of as a businessman, but yeah, there's that element of yeah. Letting... I mean, there's a little bit of natural selection, of, of yeah. course. Um, and it, it, was, it was very difficult doing the, uh, the the start of the show where we interviewed. You know, there's lots of people applied. We were only able to interview forty people. Um, but we wanted to have the positivity. It wasn't wasn't um, you know one of those shows where people get rejected. It, it wasn't about that. And even when we, when we go from twelve people that, that go to the boot camp down to six, it's actually the twelve people themselves that actually um, are involved in the selection process to work out who are the six. And even that greater group of twelve um, are really a, a great support network. We we catch up each month um, um, together, and they're they're a good network for each other. I think, and that's really what we tried to achieve as a program, not just a TV show a program that was all about some positivity how do people get skills even if they're not going to build the next million dollar business how do they get um, inspiration and back on their feet mm. so there there may be a perception of somebody who's been unemployed for a while or, or is struggling where there's may depend it might be based on reality or, or not but it's there are factors preventing these people from from finding where that might be due to temperament or lack of motivation or, or some some kind of emotional handicap or something that wouldn't be obvious in a in, in an idea, a mm-hmm. business idea. Sure. How do you how did you navigate that when you were choosing people or, or trying to recognize talent potential? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we talked about their idea, business ideas, but honestly, that wasn't a big factor of why we chose people to be involved. They had to represent a disadvantaged area of society that was important for us and that we really had to see some potential in them as potential founders. So that, that were the main criteria that we were actually looking for. Sure, some people maybe aren't employed for uh, for reasons that are only known to themselves, or maybe they, they don't put their best foot forward. But certainly, in certain categories of minority groups in Australia, think um, you know young graduates in the bush, think um, people with a disability, think Indigenous Australians. I think are six six times more likely to be unemployed than the standard population. Yeah. That, that's what really we're looking for. So there's certainly some prejudice that's happening in the job market. Um, and, and, and what we wanted to do is shine a light on that these people, you know, may be a little bit different to, to the average single white male guy, but they've got a lot to, uh, to offer. Okay. Mm. And this template of matching people who have similar ideas and then some people have to abandon this idea that they've worked up and spent quite a while developing, that's quite confronting for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we do see some tension escalate, shall sure. we say, in, in the series, uh, I'm sure. In, in practice as well, just not when it's being filmed even. How do you weigh the value of having a great idea versus the skills that you're trying to develop and help people negotiate that, that process for themselves? Yeah, certainly that was definitely one of the hardest things in the show yeah. for people to, to to give up on their idea and bounce into another idea of someone else's. Because mm. uh, one of the things that, you know, in, in, in my real world, it's it's I, I work with uh, tech founders on how do they make the next, you know, hugely valuable business, but it's always around the passionate connection to the problem. It's not just 
about how do we make some money. It's about what problem we're really going to fix. So when in, in choosing people's ideas, it's got to be more than an idea. It's got to be something that is a problem that no one else has already solved, that it's feasible that this group of people can solve it in the right amount of time as well. So there's, there's, it's more than just how do you come up with a good idea. I mean, I don't, I don't want to give too much away about the show, but from the first to the second episodes, things are get kind of different. There's a lot more tension and drama in the mm-hmm. second episode. I really liked that. And so when you're um, you're choosing the business ideas, the leaders, the founders, and then other people are brought onto the teams of those founders, how much is that uh, not premeditated? But how much did you know that this might this is going to create some drama, or, or and how did you want to deal with that? Yeah, well, certainly nothing in the show was was designed to create drama. We know in business that there's going to be drama regardless. We've run these type of programs in the past. There's always drama, and we don't really, you know, drama's great TV, but it's not really what you need in business. But we had that in spades as as, as probably was was going to happen. But putting people into uh, into teams and they chose what areas they wanted to focus on, you know, was difficult. And there's certainly tensions that, that are created, and you and you learn a lot about um, what it's like to have a co-founder because business is very lonely. Um, you don't achieve nearly as much as an individual, but teams can achieve a lot more. But there's certainly dynamics um, that come into play, and we use a few tools. And some of our mentors did a great job, I think, in being able to ease some of those tensions so they could get some traction. Okay. And again, there's a, there's a different kind of tension as well. Like, given it is the participants' experiences that and their experiences on the fringe that are part of the the reason they're they're being considered there is also a moment where someone takes issue with the idea of using their story or working it more into their business um yeah that's a tricky one (laughs) do you encounter that a lot or and how do you negotiate that i mean i'm I'm, I'm learning you know i don't know no with these different you know i've I've got a lot of experience at some type of minority groups but refugees was quite a new thing uh for for me to uh, to deal with and i thought that was a really good selling point for this particular business but Unfortunately, it invoked so many bad memories of this particular mm. individual that she'd, um, you know, coming to Australia under those circumstances, she didn't want to be defined as a refugee. And, you know, we understand that. You know, interestingly enough, there's been an interesting journey since then where she's very much embraced um, the advice which which we gave her, which was essentially people buy you as much as they buy your business. We, we think of Apple and those type of brands and we think, oh, you know, it's all about branding. Honestly, business is about people. People buy the person first and foremost. Mm. Uh, one of the things I liked, I found most interesting about the show is how you are, you're kind of giving uh, the cold hard truth about how to being a business owner and how it's not always about feelings and you have to move past these things and, and uh, to get things done. And were there ever times where you thought, uh, maybe I, I need to be a little bit more ginger with uh, this person or that kind the of thing? The whole time, you know, my, my, <laughs> my natural, uh, my, my, my nickname at uh, my work, unfortunately, whether I like it or not, is uh, is called wasabi. It's just like when you have five minutes with me, it's like having too much Japanese mustard. People get these weird looks on their faces. So I had to be quite conscious. You know, I, I, I didn't... I didn't hold back too they much. Start to with, cry with, with these and uh... oh, so I cried. People cry. You know, a lot of um, lot, lot of lot of emotion generally yeah. in business, but certainly through through the just because the stakes are high for these people. You know, this yeah. is their one shot at turning their lives around. So they they put a lot of pressure on themselves. So you've got to be a little bit careful. And they sort of put me up on a pedestal sometime, or I'm a little bit of a scary guy that they haven't met before. So you know, it can be a little bit. Um, you know, I just I just feel like I'm me, and I I, I shouldn't have to change who I am. But I, I think I did in a few instances. In, during their program. Mm. I do like the expression, you asked for permission for wasabi. Yeah. <laughs> I think it gives the show a kind of realism and it's, it doesn't feel sensational. You, you seem very natural and this is this is who you are. I really liked uh, that part. 
that came through. Yeah, honestly, we didn't see it as a show. We saw this is another program that we're running. These people really need some help. They've got some great business ideas. How do we really do it? So in some ways, you really forgot the cameras were there. Um, and that's, you know, probably what, what was designed in, the, in, in for SBS. I think SBS was very brave in putting this program forward because on face value, you think how, how exciting can it be seeing these people start a business? But mm. when, you, when you look at the episodes, I'm so proud with, um, with the, you know, there is the emotional tension, there is the inspiration, there is the real business lessons. And I think it's, it's you know, it's been a good result. Mm. Switching tangents completely. Um, we're a movies and TV podcast, and we like to um, ask our guests while while we've got them. What kind of things do you watch? Sort of, um, what what have you been watching lately? Well, I have spent a lot of time on planes, so so mm. Netflix has been my go-to. Uh, unfortunately, the I need to get more SBS on demand, don't I? The um, <laughs> is Wild Wild Country. Uh, ah, I think yeah. it was, uh, was a was a fascinating thing for me. Who's I'm, I'm really interested in uh, the future of community, and I think that was quite an interesting one. And um, Stranger Things, of course, you know that was yeah. obviously pretty pretty watchable. Do you prefer TV shows or documentaries or? Like I've, been to both. I've never been into TV that much. I, I tend not to watch a lot of uh, free-to-air, um, but when I'm on planes, yeah, I'm definitely um, binge-watching um, serials after serials. Nice. Are you always getting pitched business ideas off the cuff at, at we do. parties, we, we, parties? Yeah, we get about 14,000 uh, people pitch business to us a year oh um, in God. Australia and, um, and we've got an office in, um, in out of Singapore for Southeast Asia. So that's a lot of businesses. We can't fund all of those businesses, of course, so it's, uh, so it's quite an interesting um, job. So hopefully I don't get too much um, e- extra pitches off the back of the show. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... So in, in movies and TV, they have something called the elevator pitch. Do uh-huh. you guys have does do you have that also, where you have to get your idea out in uh, two minutes while you're in the elevator with somebody? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we do the um, we have an annual program which is called Angel Pitch, where we get a, a hundred founders in the room um, in a couple of places around the world, and we do uh, they they've got to do their two minute pitch, and then we get finals, and they they, they get up on stage, and there's a big prize for the winners. So yeah, we're very used to the uh, to the pitching. Sometimes we get them to do it in an elevator, which is which is quite cool. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Can I pitch you an idea right now? <laughs> sure, go for it. So oh, you're I, <laughs> I like um, as a as a high protein snack. Mm-hmm. It's actually some a coworker came up with the idea itself, but yeah. he's it's based on my behavior. Right. So I eat a lot of uh, cottage cheese mm-hmm. mixed with something sweet like applesauce, uh-huh. um, and uh, you know how yogurt comes in a package with fruit at the bottom of it. Got it. Doing that with cottage cheese. Sure. I mean. Fast-moving consumer goods, honestly, is not my uh, favourite uh, category. I was involved with a uh, bringing a, a charity water to Australia, and you know, I realised how difficult it is to get things into the the, the big supermarkets here in Australia. So, yeah. you know, I think um, starting starting local with that sort of thing, see if it takes off, and then go to the big manufacturing type of uh, setup. But you can you Fantastic. can test things. We, we in business, we talk about a an MVP, a minimum viable product. Yeah. You know. Put 20 of those together, come around to SBS, talk to the employees, see if they like it, and then you might be onto something. Now I'm going to need $50 million. Okay. Just to start. Fine. As long as it's drip fed, we'll give you $5,000 first. <laughs> I apologize. This wasn't a roost to get uh, Nick to pitch a cottage bar at you, <laughs> Have you got a name for it, Nick? No. Okay, back oh, to the drawing board. Oh, my God. Don't, don't, don't come and pitch us until you've got a This name. is very valuable time. That's come a on. rookie mistake. Yeah. You need to do some market no, I'm research, sorry, too. I'm sorry. Yeah, but back to the drawing board, definitely. <laughs> oh, my God. Look, on that note, I think we <laughs> wrap it up. Thank you so much, Peel. Um, yeah, it's been a real treat to talk to you. Okay, pleasure. Yeah, I love the show. Thank you very much for, okay. for coming and talking. Thanks for having us. So he wasn't that into my business idea. You've got to have a name for it, Nick. If you're going to pitch, if you've got an entrepreneur sitting in front of you, 
One lesson you get out of watching The Employables is be ready to pitch it. I know, I was unprepared. Yeah, he made me see that I'm not ready for this game. (laughs) Exactly. You're going to have to keep podcasting. Don't give up your day job. But if there are any other entrepreneurs listening. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, please uh, get in touch. We should say that there's a homepage at sbs.com.au dedicated to all things employables. If you want to find out more about the participants or the mentors, just go to sbs.com.au slash programs slash the employables. And the employable screens on Wednesdays at 8.30 on SBS Australia. And you can catch episodes after broadcast at SBS On Demand. So now we come to the part of the show where we talk about what we've been watching, what we've been up to uh, with our screen lives. So, uh, Fiona, what have you been watching? I caught a documentary that did the rounds at the Melbourne International Film Festival and is going to be screening at the Sydney Underground Film Festival in September. And it's about a an actor called Bill Murray. Who? Yes. And it's called The Bill Murray Stories, Life Lessons Learned from a Mythical Man. And it's Bill Murray the actor, of course, but you know how there's these legendary stories of Bill Murray just showing up at random someone's party and he's doing the dishes and the stories of like there was that couple having their engagement photos and Bill Murray's in those photos. Like he's going about his life and has these random encounters with people that take on but adding to it's the he uh, developed a reputation for being reclusive like nobody people couldn't get in touch with him oh that's right he's got a number he doesn't have an agent he doesn't have yeah, yeah, exactly, it's you yeah. ring this number and maybe yeah. maybe you get him for your projects like Sophia Coppola right. famously chased him for ages to get him for lost in translation and yeah she's they showed her telling that story in this film and it's made by a um a filmmaker called Tommy Avalone who he's desperate for an encounter with Bill Murray and that sort of is part of the thread of this film. But he's interviewing people who have had random encounters with Bill Murray. The format's a little similar for the first few encounters. It's amazing. You're not going to believe it. Who's it? Bill Murray shows up and we're all taking selfies with Bill Murray. And, like, it's great, but it does go deeper because after the first few you're thinking, okay, <laughs> that's great for you. <laughs> but then then it does sort of shift and, um, you know, you find out more, well, like, what is it about, Bill Murray that he wants to go to some rando's party and just show up and but also why wouldn't you because people are constantly excited by meeting you um, and that would be quite wonderful positive affirmation every time you have an encounter with someone. Do they talk to the people who? Yeah, like the the people at the wedding who who's who Bill Murray that Bill Bill Murray crashed like those. The, well, they talked to the photographer. It was engagement photos. They were having some in South Carolina, I think it is. Yeah, they talked to the photographer who was taking photos and right, right. saw the the um, fiancé looked up and, was like, oh, it's Bill Murray. Hey, Bill, get the photo. So, um, yeah, it's it's people retelling the stories with reenactments, reenactments of a guy in a Bill Murray mask nice. <laughs> playing the role. It's, it's fun. It sounds fun. It is. And, of course, you know, he's from an improv background, so the whole thing is yes and and just living in the moment. So life is one big improv moment for Bill Murray. And the whole thing is... Is he ever going to meet Bill Murray? Is this is where's this going? So I'm not going right. to spoil it, but um, yeah, it's a it's a lovely documentary that goes deeper places than you expect it to in the first part. But um, yeah, just trying to get a little insight into this mythical man. It sounds a little bit like the Jim Carrey one. 
So you're thinking Jim and Andy, the great yeah. beyond about the making of Man on the Moon. Um, you know, that that is extremely deep <laughs> uh, and starts from a, a deep place. This is a lot lighter, but um, yeah, worth your time, I'd say. So Fantastic. it is screening at the Sydney Underground Film Festival for Sydney Ciders coming up in September. Nice. What have you been watching, Nick? I've been watching Get Shorty, the TV show. Um, It's in its second season right now. I haven't read a lot about it, so I I don't know what um, critics are thinking. But I know that, personally, a lot of people said that they don't like it. It is based on a very fun movie. This situation kind of speaks to a big problem I have in reboot culture, where there's something great that is remade into, and I I really enjoy this show. I I think it's great. Uh But it's, it's totally different. Tonally and the journey that it takes you on, it's just very, very different. It's created its own thing, but because it's associated with a classic, fun John Travolta, Dennis Farina movie. Gene Hackman movie. Oh, Gene Hackman, Jesus. Yes. That great movie role. is great. Yeah. Um, but because of its association, I think it's easier to look on it less favorably. But I I think it's fun. I think it's really scary. I really like mm-hmm. um, Chris O'Dowd. Uh, I've been a fan since Moon Boy and Bridesmaids. Moon Boy is a great Irish show that everybody should watch. Very funny. See, I like him, but I don't know if I – it's maybe too much in a lead role. Do you know what I mean? Like I enjoy his work, but – Have you ever – yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't seen Moon Boy, I have to admit. Okay. Um, well, he's not, it's not, he's not in the lead. Okay. Well, then I'll either. probably like it. <laughs> um, because I saw the first episode of Get Shorty and I wasn't really on board. Mind you, we hadn't gotten to Hollywood yet. Which, yeah, it takes its time. Yeah. It's very slow. And I know you're not a great comparison, but there, there's a Breaking Bad element okay. in where it's it really takes its time. And, of course, there's gangsters involved, mm. which leads me to what I like the most about the show. Lydia Porto plays Amara, the head of this Mexican crime syndicate. Yeah. And she is great. <laughs> She's so brutal and funny, but also understated. Mm. And you get to see... I wish they had more of this, but you get to see how she became who she okay. became. Yep. And she is terrifying. <laughs> and the things that she had to endure and do to get there are fantastic to watch and, and make her so scary. And it adds a level of tension I haven't felt watching a TV show in a while where I am terrified of what she is going to do to Chris O'Dowd constantly. Okay, well, maybe I should get on board with this. <laughs> You know, it would be so hard to say, hey, you like that movie, Get Shorty, watch watch the show. It's not like that at all. You know, it's such a it's a different kind of thing. But a lot of the TV spin-offs to movies are like that. I mean, like Fargo. Yes, Fargo, I think. Is, ext- you know, it, it took the name and, and the place and the yeah the themes, but it, it wasn't a remake. I think tonally the show, that Fargo the show is probably sort of similar to the movie. Mm. Um, with the but mixture it, of lightness and shade. Yeah. This is much darker than the movie. Mm. Like the movie is almost a romp. Yeah. This has much less romp. <laughs> less rompy. Yeah, okay. definitely. All yeah. right then. Well, that's it for our show. Make sure you subscribe to the SBS The Playlist wherever you get your podcasts. Um, give us uh, a bunch of stars. Leave a nice review. It helps people find the show. If you want to get in touch, you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter at SBS Movies. I'm on Twitter at Nick Bassine. I'm on Twitter at Anything But Fifi. And the playlist is produced by Dan Barrett with audio and mixing by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next week. Thanks for listening. Hey.